The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and he led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothing became dazzling white, such as no fuller on earth could bleach them. Then Elijah appeared to them along with Moses, and they were conversing with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus in reply, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He hardly knew what to say. They were so terrified. Then a cloud came, casting a shadow over them. From the cloud came a voice. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone but Jesus alone with them. As they were coming down from the mountain, he charged them not to relate what they had seen to anyone, except when the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what rising from the dead meant. The Gospel of the Lord. So today we have the story of the Transfiguration, which is in all synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And we always get the story of the Transfiguration the second weekend of Lent. Now, the reason we get it for the second weekend of Lent is because it's meant to be a reminder of our end goal. The Transfiguration is a type of foreshadowing of the resurrection and the glory and that which is going to be fully revealed. And so, as we're doing practices of self-denial, as we're trying to tame our bodies, our physical appetites, tame the flesh, we do that so that the spirit, our souls, can flourish and have life. We say no to ourselves for the sake of a greater yes, um, so in, as we're in Lent and we're moving towards the end goal, we don't want to lose the focus of the point or the end. We want to remember the end. And the end is glorification in Jesus. Resurrection. Here, uh, pull out your bulletins if you have a bulletin. And if, uh, if some of our ushers would maybe even hand out some bulletins if, if people didn't get them going in. I'm going to refer to them our image um, throughout the homily. So, this is an image of, of the transfiguration. It's very popular in the Eastern Church. And it's actually the most popular icon that exists in the Eastern Church. Um, we're used to more kind of 
in, in the West, in Western Christianity, we like more emotive or emotional art where you can kind of see the emotions on the people. In the East, they don't. They're, you'll see a lot more kind of stoic images, maybe, is, is, is how we would perceive them. And in those, those images, there's a lot to be gained via the detail. And so you might even see like the very wrinkle in the clothing of an icon is actually representing something deeper and pointing to a deep reality. And so in this image of the transfiguration, we see basically a, a three-part series of events taking place. Again, maybe if just a few of our gentlemen in the back would, would actually pass these bulletins out. Are, there, are they all gone? Okay. All right. Well, that's a good thing. That, that means people were taking them. All right. Um, so I'll, I'll just try to illustrate. Um, there's three things going on. It's basically the past, the present, and the future. So here's Jesus going up the mountain. The bigger figures right here are, uh, this is, of course, those who were, we just read about, Peter, James, and John. Um, this is the present, um, and then this is kind of the future. So this is like a cycle of sorts, you might say. Um, the reason that the transfiguration is such a big deal in the East and that this icon is such a big deal is because it represents one of the main themes of Christianity, which, we, which has a lot of different words for it. And um, in the bulletin article that I have here, um, I kind of write about this, con this concept which is called divinization. Divinization. This is a very popular notion in the East. People know this. They would know that word if I said it. There's other words for it as well. St. Athanasius probably said it best. One of, the, one of the church fathers when he said, the Son of God became man, he means a human being, so that man, so that we might become God. There's meant to be this process that takes place in the Christian from the moment of their baptism onward. If, if we cooperate, if we cooperate with God, where we slowly start to turn into little Jesuses, alter Christies. That's the word that the church used, other Christs. And so, through the sacraments, which are the main form of trans relational transformation that God gives us, the sacraments, this, what we're at right now, the Mass, the Eucharist, confession, the other sacraments, we are transformed, and also through our private life of prayer, we are transformed over and over again through these experiences. This is what's going on here. This is a cycle of transformation. These Cycles of transformation are meant to take place for us throughout our life. Now you might say, okay, that sounds really, that's a really nice concept. That's very cute. Um, you know, that sounds great. We become Jesus. Great. Um, maybe the more cynical or skeptical among us might say, I'd like to see that. Show me how that works. Um, and what I would answer to that, the answer I would give to that person um, would be, I would present them with a historical record of the lives of the saints. 
a historical record of the lives of the saints. Those persons throughout human history who successfully have been divinized in a very obvious way. So it's not to say that maybe we haven't had people in our own lives that have been divinized, maybe family members or friends, people that are just saints and you just, this person kind of radiates with God, right? God blesses us with those people in our lives oftentimes. But we actually have people who we have very kind of detailed documentation about throughout our history that we can go to and we can look objectively at these people who when they came, they were Jesus. It was like a way of Jesus himself continuing to reveal himself throughout the different ages. And so I just want to go through a a few brief images of what I'm talking about. Because these people had the same kind of historical effect, like when a stone goes into a, 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 a body of water and then there's a bunch of ripples, or if a meteor were to go into the ocean, it, it, it do something a lot more. These saints have had this effect in human history. I think of the early saints before Christianity was legal in Rome. There were so many persecutions up and down for those first 300 years. A lot of martyrs, a lot of people, that's why we wear red. That's why priests wear red in the church on the Feast of a Martyr because of the blood that they lost. I think particularly those, those martyrs, I think of them often, a subset of the early Christian martyrs were called the virgin martyrs. The virgin martyrs. Raise your hands if you've heard of the virgin martyrs. Few of us. Okay. We sh- I'm, a, I'm, I'm glad because I'm going to talk about them. We should know these figures. These were incredible human beings. Now, the reason I think that the virgin martyrs are so spectacular is because they were little girls who showed the deepest form of bravery and courage and steadfastness. Now, the worst time in life for us being free and making our own decisions is probably as teenagers, right? Because we are so susceptible to the pressure of our peers. Everybody wants to just keep their head down and fit in. When, when they're around junior high and early high school ages. The virgin martyrs were little girls who were 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 years old who were told that they had to renounce Christ, renounce their faith, or do some kind of practice that was not a Christian practice. And they just said, no, I will not do it. And they would not give in to the point where they would be put in front of thousands of Romans who were against Christianity, and they would endure bodily harm, torture, and death. These little girls, the most vulnerable members probably of society, with the grandest of strength, saying, you cannot take this away from me. That's incredible. That is incredible. Incredibly inspiring. 
I go to the Middle Ages and I think of people like St. Francis of Assisi. We often have a cartoonish image of St. Francis of Assisi. He's the guy who kind of, you see in cute poses with the animals in people's lawns. St. Francis was, uh, was not really a cute character. Um, he, was, he was a very, very powerful in God, in the things of God, strong Christ. He was like a Jesus that started something completely and utterly new. St. Francis was so, you can read in his writings, he's just so um, entangled with Jesus. It's like, he is, it's like Jesus came again. Um, St. Francis' effect was so powerful, he, he really lived in one of the, probably the most corrupt times in the church's history and in the secular, the non-religious uh, history. And his, just him following Christ and being conformed to Christ, being divinized, was the spark that led to the Renaissance and a complete changing of Catholicism, renewal of Catholicism, and a renewal of political life, even, throughout all of Europe. Francis was the flame that led to the fire that was the eventual renaissance of Europe. Um, by the time he died, there were hundreds, and it might be thousands, of Franciscan friaries. Um, that's how powerful Francis was. He would do miracles, manifestations of God on earth. Now, if we go to modern times, we look at saints that maybe we ourselves are a little bit more familiar with. I think of St. Teresa of Calcutta, also formerly known as Mother Teresa, um, who gave herself in such a pouring out way to the poor um, that she herself started a whole movement and moved whole nations and presidents and whole countries to start to enact more social justice towards the poor. That all came from her own prayer life. She said she will not, she would, she would refuse, regardless of how much work there was to do, she would refuse to do anything um, along with her sisters until she herself prayed for an hour in front of the, the Blessed Sacrament, went to Mass, and prayed the Rosary. She wouldn't do a thing. And then she would go out. Jesus gave her the energy to see the most destitute people who have vomit on themselves, who are dying, who are smelly. Calcutta is just the worst. It's hard to even wrap our American minds around how bad the people, uh, how bad of a situation the people were in, where, where Mother Teresa was helping. Um, it's almost unfathomable. And she was, her eyes, her mind... You can even see the beams on this image. They go into the eyes and the mind of, the, of Peter, James, and John. Her, her, she saw things differently. This is what happens when we conform our lives to Christ and when Christ changes us. We start to see things like Christ. We start to have a lot more energy to do things that seemed like totally energy draining beforehand. John Paul II, one of my favorites, um, just a true man who conformed his life to Christ. He was, they, there were two assassination attempts on his life. One, one time he got stabbed, 
Um, another time he got shot, both because he was so steadfast in his message. He was particularly very, very anti-communism, a communist. Um, he was, when he was in Poland, um, out, I mean, he, they, he was followed around, actually, um, by, uh, by various officials from the USSR. Um, they would follow him around, they would track him, they would track his conversations, and he was constantly harassed. Um, and he just spoke the truth clearly and loudly and was a shepherd willing to lay down his life for those he served. He suffered deeply with years, decades of Parkinson's, and he suffered well. He conformed his sufferings to the sufferings of Jesus. He became Jesus. And this is, this is the goal for us. Um, this is what happens when we allow Jesus in a similar way to when we're kids, we start to follow our parents and we listen to them, and then all of a sudden, you, you know, if you're a grandparent, you start to see your grandson and you think it's your son um, because they start to like move the same and walk, they have the same gait. You start to become the people that you spend time with. When you're adolescent, you start to become like, if you have a good group of friends, you probably are a good kid. You know, you're staying, you're doing good habits, you're, form, you're doing good stuff. If you're getting into bad things, if all your friends are getting into bad things, you're getting into bad things. You just start to become a mirror of those that you spend time with relationally. Once you get married, you fall in love with somebody, you start to take on the habits and the mannerisms of your spouse. Your sense of humor starts to turn into your spouse's sense of humor. The language that you speak, the way that you use words, your vocabulary starts to be like their vocabulary you start to kind of take on some of the things that they're probably interested in. You start to take on their schedule. You start to become like them. This is how it works in the life of God. Jesus chose these three men. They were his three best friends on earth. He spent time with the twelve. They were slowly having these transformations over and over again. This is why we pray for at least 20 minutes a day. Um, it, it, we need this transformation and Jesus does change us and we shouldn't be judging our own progress you usually can't see when you're falling into vice and you're becoming kind of a worse person and you you often can't see when you're growing in virtue and you're becoming a better person you, you can't usually see those things it's very difficult to see those things especially in the short term it takes time Lord, we ask you to bless us and help us to be transformed, divinized, help us relationally to be conformed to Jesus as we grow in friendship with Jesus, as these early apostles did. Help us to have you at the center of our families. Help our transformation to begin at our baptism. I ask you to bless these four babies who will be baptized after this Mass as well. Their families. Continue to bless us and help that fire to grow within us. Help us to be like the saints that we learn about throughout history. Through Christ our Lord, amen. And let us take a few minutes in silence to just listen to and speak with the Lord Jesus in our hearts.